Jeremiah 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it do evil in my sight that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now therefore go to speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you, and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There is no hope. But we will walk after our own devices, and we will every one do the imagination of his evil heart. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Ask ye now among the heathen who hath heard such things, The virgin of Israel hath done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon, which cometh from the rock of the field? Or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? Because my people hath forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity, and have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths in a way not cast up, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Every one that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy, I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. Would you pray with me? Precious God, we are so thankful once again to be in the house of the Lord. And Lord, we've had a good time this morning. This is a a fun-loving church. I can see that. And I pray today, Father, that now you would help us to concentrate on your word. For, Father, this is your word. This uh, This is not a part of the service that's meant to entertain And so I pray, Lord, as these words from so long ago are brought forth, just as they were shared so long ago, I pray, Father, once again they would speak and once again they would bear fruit. Let there be no distraction, Father. I pray that uh, you'd calm our hearts and speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, your pastor was kind enough to ask me back a second time. I enjoyed preaching uh, on a previous old-fashioned Sunday. And so I was pleased and happy to receive his return invitation. He told me the theme of today's event is Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse number 15. And he reminded me of some of the happenings that are taking place in this great land of America. 
And he suggested that the problem that America is facing in the 21st century is similar to what was described here in this passage. It was just read from the prophet Jeremiah. And the verse that's the theme verse for today, because my people have forgotten me. They have burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient past. And so your pastor asked me to preach on that topic. A thing I was most eager to do. My people have forgotten me. It is indeed the cause of America's ills today. But it was also the cause of society's ills in my century. And it was the very thing that brought the blessed Savior to earth when Rome ruled, sending him even to the cross to die for your sins and for mine. My people have forgotten me. It was the cause of society's ills even hundreds of years prior to that pivotal turning point in history when the prophet Jeremiah put pen to paper and wrote those words down the very first time. My people have forgotten me. And so I do believe that on this day you call Old Fashioned Sunday, our old-fashioned Bible describes a very old-fashioned problem. My people have forgotten me. But just as the problem is old-fashioned, so too is the solution. I haven't lived in your 21st century. I, I lived out my days in the 19th century. And I can only imagine that you are of the impression that your science and technology, from what I can see, is quite impressive, by the way. But, I, but, but you're under the impression that that uh, might have provided new solutions to old problems. And if I understand the way your political system works, you have some thought that the ills of your land can be fixed simply by electing someone that will govern more to your liking. But my brothers and sisters, such solutions cannot solve this problem. My people have forgotten me. That's been the problem since the dawn of creation. And the solution is every bit as old. Jeremiah mentioned it here. He mentioned it just a few verses earlier than that verse. If you will look at verse number 11, you'll see the solution. Return ye now, everyone, from his evil way. Return now, everyone, from his evil way. I humbly propose that verse 11 describes the only solution to verse 15. If memory serves, I preached on this passage one time many years ago. I preached uh, one evening, uh, Sunday evening, I think it was December 12, 1897, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, this very message. Return now, everyone, from his evil way. Well, the text is all about repentance. It is an exhortation from God. It is brief, it is sententious, but it's very earnest, it's very plain. Return now, everyone, from his evil way way. I, perhaps this, this morning you're wondering why I would preach a sermon on personal repentance when the issue we are considering seems national in scope. But do you want to know the solution to my people have forgotten me? Do you want to know how America, which has forgotten God, can be turned back? Well, I must tell you, it won't start on the national level. It will not start with your electoral system. It will have nothing to do with your political system at all. It must start in the hearts of individual Americans. Revival starts with the individual. If my people have forgotten me as a national problem, it is also and more immediately an individual problem. And so I preach this message to you, my friend, because if the Lord does a work in you, it's the first step toward remediating the problem in your land. 
And so I want you to join me in looking at the words of this text this morning. And I want to try to press them home by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to do so first by trying to answer this question. What does the text say? What does the text say? It says, return. Return. The picture is that of a man who is going the wrong way. He is trespassing. He is on forbidden ground. He is advancing on a dangerous road. And if he shall continue to go in that direction, he will by and by come to a dreadful precipice over which he will fall, and there he will be ruined. And a voice cries out to him, Return! What does that word mean? Well, it's very simple, and, and I want to make it even more simple, perhaps more plain for practical purposes. Let me say that the first thing that such a man would do would be to stop. Stop. If I were out on a country road, on a road I did not know, and I heard a voice crying out to me, return, I would certainly stop and listen. And if I heard the cry repeated with great earnestness and eagerness, return, return, well, I would pause and I would look around and I would try to see who it was that had called me. I'd look in front to see whether there was any particular reason for bidding me return. And then I'd look all around about me to try and discover for what motive the man had bid me go back. I wish that all of you who are wandering away from God would stop and consider where you are going. The trouble with some of you is that you will not think. You go blundering on like some wild beast that cannot keep still. And I beg you, just now, stop a little while. Think of what you have been doing and to what your present course must lead and in what mo woe it must end. Stop. In God's name, I would arrest you as God's officer. I would put my hand on your shoulder and say to you, you must stop and pause and consider your ways. I cannot let you go on carelessly like a sheep into the slaughterhouse or a bull going to ruin. Stop, I pray you. Well, suppose a man did stop. That would not be returning. It would be but the commencement of the return. When a man stops, it will be necessary for him next to turn around. The order for him to obey is right about face. He must turn his face in the opposite direction from that in which he was traveling. And so when God says return, it is plain that he means turn your face in exactly the opposite direction from that to which it is now turned. Love. What you now hate. Hate what you now love. Do what you have left undone. Leave undone what you have been accustomed to do. There must be a total, a radical change in you if you are really to obey the command. Return. So there is something done towards returning when a man stops. There is still more done when he turns around. Yet he does not actually return until with persevering footsteps. The wanderer hastens back to him from whom he had departed. What God desires is that all his prodigal children should come home. That his stray sheep should be brought back to the fold. That the lost pieces of silver should be put into the treasury again. That indeed you who have wandered in sin should be as they are. Whom Christ has washed in his precious blood. Whom the Holy Spirit has regenerated. And whom the Father has adopted and put among his children. Oh, that it might be so with you, even now. I charge you, never be content until, until it is so. 
Give no rest to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids, till you have obeyed that gracious summons return and have said to the Lord, Behold, we come to you. Well, so much in answer to the question, what does the text say? I want to dwell upon another word, and I want to ask a second question. And it is this. When are sinners to return? When, and the text says, return now. Return now, everyone from his evil way. Return now. Men are quite willing to promise to return when they've gone on a little further. When perhaps they will have gone past all possibility of returning. But now is an ugly word to them. Tomorrow they like much better. Now is a monosyllable which seems to burn into their bosom like a hot coal, and therefore they pluck it out and throw it from them. But listen to me, my friends. The the voice of God bids you to return now. And I would urge you to do so because life is so uncertain that if you do not return now, you may not live to return at all. I need not quote the many instances of men, apparently healthy and strong, who have been suddenly taken from us. I often note, as you must have done, that sickly persons are spared to us while the robust and vigorous are called away. I could quote instances where the husband lives, who I thought would have gone long ago, and the wife, who seemed the more healthy of the two, is dead and buried. But the sickly go, too. They go sometimes just when we thought they were recovering. There was great hope that they had outgrown the weakness or that the disease would never return. But in a moment it leaped upon them like a lion out of a thicket. And they were gone. He who would have his estate rightly ordered when he is dead should have his will made. Everybody says that. And he who would have his eternal estate ordered aright should yield himself at once to the sovereign will of the, of the Most High. For life is uncertain. Return now. Now. For the calls of grace may not always come to you. You sometimes hear a sermon which touches you and pricks your conscience, but in a short time you may be removed where you will hear no such sermons, or where, though you hear them, they may no longer impress you. Remember also that your sin will be increased by delay. The longer you stay away from God, the more deeply you sin. If you keep on in the wrong path, not only will you have sinned the more, but that sin will have taken a more terrible hold upon you. Habits are like cobwebs. They begin like cobwebs, but they end like chains of iron. A man might more readily have swept away the temptation when it was new to him then he will be able to do so when, having yielded to it many a time, the devil has learned the way to master him. Oh, may God help you to flee from sin as soon as you perceive it, lest you be caught in its net of steel, be held in it to your eternal destruction. Moreover, it's well for us to return unto our God now, because the sooner we return to him, the sooner we shall enjoy his favor, and the more delightful our life will be. If if to repent and to return to God involved a lifetime of misery, well, I would yet urge it, for it would be worthwhile to spend the remnant of our days in bitter grief and then to be eternally blessed. It would be worthwhile to give away the pleasure of time for the sake of the joys of eternity. But it's not so. For he who repents of sin loses nothing of joy when he loses sin. And he who finds God finds heaven. 
Peace with God makes even this life to be a blessed life. And he who has it begins, even here, to enjoy the happiness of the glorified. Come, then, dear friends. You cannot too soon be happy. And therefore, you cannot too soon be holy. You cannot too soon be safe. And therefore, you cannot too soon return from the evil of your ways. Do you not see it? Do you not see that God would have the more service from you? The sooner you're brought to Him, the longer you will have of life in which to serve Him. I always bless God that I was brought to Christ in my youth, for it left a good long time of life to be spent in the Lord's service. If any of you have gone past youth, into manhood, into middle age, or even to old age, then that word now should come to you with a sharp, clear crack as a rifle. It comes like a staccato note in music now. 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 It comes to you over and over again with a definite, imperious accent written now. We turn now. My venerable friend, you might be 70 years of age. Maybe I've put the number too low. Maybe if you're spared to see another birthday, your next will find you 80. And yet you are unsaved. God, be merciful to you, aged sinner, even now. May you return from your evil way. You see, wisdom's voice cries now. It is folly that says wait. Oh, that God himself by his own gracious spirit may now make you wise enough to turn from your evil way to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ that you may be saved now. Well, uh, let God help me for a minute or two. I want to try to answer a third question. The third question is, who is the person that is to return? And the text says, return now everyone, everyone from his evil way. Every one. Many of you have returned, and blessed be God for that. But every man, every woman, every child who has not returned should hear the voice of the Lord repeating this message, return now everyone from his evil way. Oh, maybe you thought to yourself, I wonder whether so-and-so will think of what's being said. And will you kindly not think that? Will you kindly forget about him and think only about yourself? It would not be proper for me to point out individuals in this great crowd, but would you consider that I am? And would you consider that I am pointing you out one by one? The message of the text to each friend here who is unconverted is return now everyone from his evil way. Someone might say, perhaps there will be some people converted through this sermon. And don't talk like that. Will you, will you be converted through it? You are the man, said the prophet to David, and I would be just as personal in my address to every sinner here. I want you, my friend, by divine grace, to be turned from the error of your way. And why not? Some of you have been coming here for a very long time, your pastor tells me. And there are some of you who are unhappy if you cannot come. You love the very sound of the gospel. And you're interested in everything which has to do with Christian work here. You like to be here. Yet you are mere hangers-on. You take your turn in helping every good work. Yet you do not give God your hearts. If you said that we were all wrong and laughed at our religion, I could understand you. You would be very wrong. But you'd at least be consistent. You seem by your action to say that we're right, and yet not right. At least you seek to help us in our service, but you don't give yourself 
to the Lord. Well, you are yourself dying, and yet you run for the doctor, for somebody else. And all the while, think yourself perfectly well. You are starving, and yet you are eager to hand the bread out to the hungry. Why don't you take a bite yourself? Dear hearts, what can be your hindrance in trusting the Savior? What is it that keeps some of you away from Christ? I try to put the gospel so plainly uh, and, and so simply that all may understand it. I have had it said to me, I dare say a dozen times, by persons in spiritual trouble who have come many a mile to see me. Yes, some of them from the very ends of the earth. Say, nobody has encouraged and helped us as you have by your sermons. You seemed as if you did not want to put any of us back, but as if you longed to bring us all to the Savior, and that is why we have come to see you. Now, I think they would not have said that so often if it had not been true. I don't frighten you away from Christ. At least I don't mean to do so. I would much rather beckon you to come to him. It is not fear, I think, that has kept you back. So what is it then? Perhaps we shall find out before we have done. For you are staked down somehow and you cannot escape. Possibly some of you are like the the man we read of in the papers some years ago. He was walking by the seaside. He stepped on a large chain and he slipped his foot right through one of the links. And when he tried to draw it back, he couldn't, for he was held fast. The tide was coming in and there he was, a prisoner. He had to call long and loud before anybody came. And by the time the people had arrived, he had very much hurt his foot in trying to extricate it from the chain. He begged them to run for the smith that he might come and break the iron. And he came, but he brought the wrong tools. And he could not accomplish the task. And it would be some time before he could be back. And meanwhile, the tide was continuing to come in. And the water was up to the man's feet. And so he cried, run for the surgeon. Let him come and cut my leg off. It's the only hope of saving my life. But by the time the surgeon came, the water was up to the man's neck. And so the surgeon couldn't get down to where his foot was held fast in the iron chain. And there was nothing that could be done for him. And there he was, poor fellow. The tide rolled over him. And he was drowned. Some of you seem to me to be just like that man. Held fast by some invisible force. And yet when I try to get at the chain, I can't find out what it is. It's so far under the water. And perhaps you don't even know yourself what it is. And so I'm going to make a dive. And I'm going to... I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get at it as I ask my last question concerning this text, this text. And here is that last question. From what are these people to return? From what? And the text says, return now everyone from his evil way. From his evil way. So then each man has a way of his own. An evil way of his own, some personal form of sin. Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And so, my friend, what is your evil way? If we can find that out, perhaps we shall learn why it is you're not saved. What is your own way? Is it some constitutional sin to which you are prone? There can be no doubt that we all have some infirmity, some weakness, some tendency to sin that's more fully developed in us than in other people. There's one man who's a fine fellow in many ways, but 
He's dreadfully impulsive. Gets into furious tempers. He soon cools down again. He's very sorry for what he has said and done. There are others whose tendency would be to the sins of the flesh, much more than is the case with a great many of their neighbors. Some are more inclined to pride, some to sloth. But there is something about the constitution of men inherited from their parents or brought on by their circumstances which leads each man towards some particular sin rather than to others. You know, dear friends, what contrasts there are among men. There are some mean, stingy, cold-blooded fellows who would never become spendthrifts. It's very great difficulty to extract even a sixpence from them. They couldn't be prodigals and spendthrifts. And there are others who never could be misers except by a miracle, for they can't keep a penny in their pockets. It always burnt a hole through them directly. These observations may help some of you to see whereabouts your own evil way may lie, according to the peculiarity of your own constitution, circumstances, and habits. And so some say, well, what is my evil way? What do you think is my evil way? And I will answer that by putting another question to you. What is the sin into which you most frequently fall? I should think you can tell that. And that is the evil way from which you have most to fear. It is from that one way that you are especially called upon to return. What sin can you most easily be led into? Read the Bible through, and you'll find that one man was led into drunkenness, another into licentiousness, one man into anger, another into lying. Which has the greater power over you? And today, if you were tempted, to which temptation would you be most likely to yield? You don't know, you say? Well, then let me put another question to you. What do you get most angry about if anybody rebukes you? If you're rebuked for a sin you don't commit, you don't need to get angry about that. You can calmly say, my friend, you have made a mistake. If you're chided for having done a thing of which you feel that you're perfectly innocent, you might even say, now that is a lie. But yet you need not be very greatly provoked. But oh, if we know your tender places. And we begin just to hint at some of your private goings on. Just lay bare a little of your secrets. Yes. Then you get furious, don't you? Again, what sin of yours eats up the other sins? Look at a miser. He won't fall into licentiousness because it's expensive and he cannot afford it. He is greedy for money. So he sins by covetousness, which is idolatry. He doesn't go and get drunk, for that's an expensive sin. And he thinks he can't afford it. The love of money is his besetting sin. His covetousness is like Aaron's rod. It opens its mouth and swallows up all the other sins. Here on the other man, other hand is a man who is proud. He doesn't even try to save money, for he spends it to flatter his pride. Everything must be in grand style for such a grand man as he is. You won't find him falling into drunkenness or into the gross sins of certain other men because he's proud of being a respectable person. He has a character to keep up, so his pride swallows up all the other kinds of sin. People might call it a decent pride, a respectable pride, a proper pride. Or look next at the man who's given to the sins of the flesh. You won't find that he's a miser. Poor wretch, he has not anything left he can store up. I heard once of a man who was once in a good position of life with a wife and children. 
I had known him as what is called a respectable man worth several thousands of pounds. But at the present moment, he's only earning a few shillings a week, and I fear he'll fall lower yet. He has had another house beside his own to maintain, and a house that has swallowed up all his substance. He parted with his business for 500 pounds, and within a few weeks, all that money was gone. If it had been 50,000, it would have been gone. For whoredom is a deep ditch that swallows a man, body and soul, fortune and everything. Mark my words. That man will die in the streets one day. Though he could have bought us up not very long ago. That sin of his, you see, has swallowed everything else up. It all disappears when he once goes that way. It's the same with gambling. When a man takes to the gaming table, it seems as if his whole soul runs out at that sluice and his entire life is just nothing to him. Wife, children, substance, all must go at the throw of the dice or be staked on the running of a horse. And so you see, my friends, you can find out which is your sin if you can discover what it is that swallows up all the others and becomes the master of your entire being. Where does your money mostly go? You could have told that Joseph was Jacob's favorite because he made him a coat of many colors. And there are some sins that wear the coat of many colors. And often, as it were, it is dipped in the man's own blood for everything goes for that particular sin. I know I'm speaking to some such people today. Turn, I beseech you. For before long you will be beggars if you do not turn from your sins. For before long, you will be where hope can never come, where no messenger of mercy will invite you to return, but where the bell of eternity shall ring out its dreadful knell forever, 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 forever. There are no acts of pardon past in the cold grave to which we hasten, but darkness, death, and long despair reign in eternal silence there. Return now, every one, from his evil way. But perhaps I have not hit on your sin yet, have I, friend? You have an evil way which you will not tell anyone. Not as bad as any that I have mentioned. It's a very respectable kind of evil way which you have. Your evil way is this. It is the evil way of self-righteousness. You do your very best. In fact, you think you do a little better than most people. You're not a Christian, but you're rather better than some Christians. In truth, you are so good a fellow, it's perfectly wonderful how the world bears up with such a person as you are upon its surface. You utterly despise the evils I've been talking about and the people who commit them. You will not associate with them, nor say good day to them, uh, because you're too good. Ah, yes, but do you know where such good people as you are go? Not not heaven, mark you. For all those who are in heaven have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, and yours, according to your own account, do not need to be washed. The day will come, I assure you, when if this has been your evil way, it will turn out to be as destructive as the way of the worst transgressor, for self-righteousness is an open and gross insult to God. It makes out. That the death of Christ was a superfluity. It tells God that he is wrong in charging a man with sin. It raises a clamor against God. It claims as a right every good thing that God has to give. It does, in fact, uncrown the Savior, bid the Holy Spirit go his way as no longer needed, and throws the gospel, which is the crown jewel of God, into the mud. 
My people have forgotten me. It is an old-fashioned problem, my friends. And it has an old-fashioned solution. Return now, everyone from his evil way. Oh, I wish that we were all agreed by the power of the Holy Spirit that we would turn unto our God with contrite hearts. It is the only hope for your America. It is the only hope for Randolph. It is the only hope for you. Come, friends, let us first acknowledge our sin. And come, let us trust in his great sacrifice. Let us lay our hands on your dear head, O Christ, while we stand here and confess our sin. Come, let us ask the Holy Spirit to make us strong enough to forsake our sin. Let us ask him to give us new hearts and right spirits that we may turn effectually from all sin and follow on to know the Lord. Would you pray with me? O Lord, turn us. Turn us and we shall be turned. And if you have turned us, help us to persevere in righteousness and let us not turn again to folly. But, oh, turn, men and women, today for your love's sake, for your mercy's sake, for Christ's sake. Turn the whole congregation of unsaved ones with their face to the cross. And may they look on him whom they have pierced and mourned for their sin. And then may they look again unto him and be lightened as they see their sin effectually and eternally put away by the substitutionary sacrifice of their redeeming God. Answer, O Christ, the cries of our soul. For your own name's sake, amen.